Hello and welcome to the Swift Coders Podcast, where each week we interview an amazing Swift developer about their experience with Apple's new open source programming language. We hear their stories, learn their tips and tricks, and try to leave you feeling inspired and empowered on your Swift Coder journey. I'm your host, Garrick, and today's guest is Michael Sachs. Michael is an independent iOS developer from San Diego, California. Welcome to the show, Michael. Thanks for having me, Garrick. My pleasure. So today, before we begin, I want to introduce a new segment where we thank a reviewer, someone who left a review on iTunes. And Giuliano says, great podcast, five stars. I've listened to the podcast and it gives me great motivation to keep learning and writing code in Swift. Thank you so much for the review, Giuliano. That's exactly why the Swift Coders podcast exists for you and for that um, motivation. So today's guest is Michael Sachs. Michael and I technically haven't met in person, but we've talked a lot over text message and over Slack and online. Uh, I'm not sure exactly when, maybe six months ago, Michael joined Learn Swift LA and the Slack team, and he told me he was um, looking into moving up to, to LA and he wanted to get more involved in the LA uh, you know, iOS developer community. And then a couple weeks ago at the Twitter Dev and Learn Swift LA meetup, apparently Michael was there and you met Yariv, <laughs> uh, who's uh, you know, a really important member. And, but I didn't meet you. And I know I was really busy that night, but man, I wish we got to meet that night. I actually confess uh, I saw you from afar, but I didn't have a chance to go say hi. <laughs> Man, yeah, you know, I'm really busy sometimes at these kinds of these kinds of meetups because there's so many people and I have to make sure, you know, everything's getting done and then everyone, wa you know, everyone wants to chat. And so you did see me, but you didn't say hi. Yeah, yeah, you seemed kind of engrossed in what you were doing. So yes. I, th I thought I'd catch you later, but it didn't happen. Yeah, yeah. Oh, man, that would have been nice. But ne definitely soon. Uh, it sounds like you're going to come possibly teach Learn Swift LA or Swift Coder sometime soon. Um, and, you know, and you're going to hopefully move up to LA soon. So we're definitely going to meet. Yeah, yeah. I'm looking forward to it. I'm looking forward to it. So, Michael, what are you working on right now? Uh, so right now I'm putting some, I'm adding some features um, onto an app that I've actually already released. It's called Web Duo or Web Duo Pro. Um, it's a dual browser app, so you can essentially surf two web pages at once, side by side. Um, I'm working on localizing it for uh, Spanish-speaking countries, and then if that goes well, hopefully for a few other countries and then just adding some more features and possibly releasing a free version as well. So we'll see. So is this something that came out recently because of the multitasking features for like iPad uh, where you could, I remember, I think I saw, an, I'm not sure if it's your app or another one where you basically open up another web page using an extension and then you can view two web pages side by side, uh, you know, using multitasking. So that was actually the original inspiration. Um, I, you know, I saw there's a, an app called Sidefari that does exactly that. It's, you know, it works on the, the iPads that have multitasking uh, and allows you to, you know, you open up Safari and then you open up this, which is pretty much, a, you know, a web view. Um, it's actually, no, a Safari view controller. Um, and then you can surf two web pages at once. And you know, so I actually made an exact copy of it. That's what WebDuo started out as, uh, an exact copy. I did it for a demo. I was teaching some, uh, some new Swift learners about uh, multitasking, and we did that. And then, uh, you know, a few days later, my, I, I think I called it, uh, I called it, um, yeah, WebDuo. And, and my, uh, one of the students turns to me and says, why don't you make Web trio where you can view three web pages at once. I'm thinking, well, you know, that is impossible with multitasking. And I thought, well, why do I even need to use multitasking at all? You know, I could, I could just have one app that has two web views. So that's what I did. And, uh, and that allows it to be available on all iOS devices as opposed to the multitasking one, which is just, you know, uh, those, I think there's three different iPads that support it. So I did that, um, and so technically there's WebTrio if you use WebDuo on a multitasking um, device. 
Nice. That's really cool. So what type of enhancements or upgrades are you making right now? So localization is the main thing. Um, I'm looking, I guess I wouldn't consider it uh, an upgrade, but uh, I'm looking into using iAds um, probably to release a free version. I'm debating about releasing a free version altogether, but um, doing that. And then it'd be nice to, to have use, use ShareSheet. So if you're on Safari, you can you know click Share on a web page and it says open with uh, WebDuo. So awesome. looking into doing that. I haven't had a chance to set that up yet, though. When Music Memos came out recently, I actually started learning how to create a share extension because I thought it'd be cool to integrate some kind of share extension with Music Memos. I spent uh, a weekend learning it. It's pretty um, basic, but the w place where I struggled a little bit was getting the actual data uh, from, you know, from the extension context they call it i believe hmm. from the ns item provider um you know converting it to the right kind of data because of what i was actually trying to get from music memos wasn't sure if it was actually quite possible oh interesting to pass along the information yeah so all right that's cool man web duo that sounds awesome so where did you kind of get how did you get into ios development did you were you always doing ios development did you go to school for it or how, how did you get into it that's a that's a great question. So I went to college at Emory University in Atlanta, Georgia, um, and I took some computer science courses there. I studied Python and Java, and I loved the idea of of coding, of programming. Um, and I had a computer science professor who kind of was a mentor to me, and he said, you know, Michael, we teach you a lot of theory here at at, at Emory, and you're not really going to learn how to make any user side um, things. And I actually was very interested in psychology, still am very interested in psychology and behavioral economics. And I saw iOS as kind of the, the bridge between doing research uh, without actually doing research. So collecting data about people, uh, finding, finding out you know, how they make decisions, their habits through technology. And I found iOS to be that bridge. So I kind of had my mindset on, on making apps. Um, so I actually graduated with a psychology degree uh, and left Emory a year early. Um, and then I went on to do a iOS boot camp called Dev Mountain. So that's located, they actually have three campuses. Uh, they started in Provo, Utah. Um, and I did uh, the cohort in Salt Lake City, Utah. And then they also just recently opened one in um, Dallas, Texas. And they also teach web development. That's actually how they started. Uh, but I did the iOS program because that's what I'm most interested in. So I did that. It's 12 weeks, you know, as long as the day is uh, programming full time. Uh, I did that. And as the cohort came to a finish, uh, the director or whoever, I don't know his exact title, but the guy who's in charge uh, said, Michael, you know, we'd like you to be a mentor. Uh, stay on for the next cohort. You know, we'll pay you and you can help the new students learn. So, you know, I've always been interested in teaching. So I figured, all right, I'll give it a shot. So I uh, became a mentor for the next cohort and instantly loved it. It's, it's one thing to learn iOS development, but to, to help someone else learn it is really, really rewarding. Um, I loved just about every minute of it. Uh, it was great. So back when I was doing the, the cohort, it was all in Objective-C. So uh, Swift was, was new at the time. And uh, you know, as far as helping people get jobs and so on, Objective-C was still you know, the, the heavy hitter. So I learned Objective-C in the first cohort I mentored was in Objective-C. But at the end, the last three weeks, we did a group project in Swift. So that was, I, I believe it was 1.0 at the time. Uh, and it, yeah, I, I think it was 1.0 at the time. And we did a group project in Swift. Um, and it was quite an experience switching over from Objective-C to Swift. Uh, was, it was really hard at first. Um, I was very opposed to everything that Swift made me do. It seemed like such a waste and so on. Uh, but I was okay with it. Then the, the cohort ended 
And uh, my boss said to me, Michael, you know, I want to promote you to be the lead mentor. So, you know, I'd kind of run class every day uh, and teach, you know, every once in a while, teach a, a lesson. So I agreed to do that, and I did that for another cohort, and it was a phenomenal experience. It was very challenging, uh, very rewarding, and uh, then I finished that and, and left Salt Lake City. Wow, that's awesome. That's a really interesting story. So did you say that you went from, okay, so you were at Emory. Where is Emory, by the way? It's in Atlanta, Georgia. Okay, and where were you before Emory? So before Emory, I was in I was living in San Diego. I was going to high school in San Diego. So you're actually from San Diego. Yeah, born okay. and raised in San Diego, and then I left for college. And the 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 weather was a little tough on me. So <laughs> going from San Diego to Atlanta. <laughs> yeah, even though it's not that bad, it's you know I was raised just you go outside every day. You don't check the weather, and you know you usually can get by with a t-shirt and shorts. So right. <laughs> it's a little bit of a surprise. So you went from San Diego to Emory. Why did you go all the way to Atlanta? That's a great question. Um, as high school was finishing up, uh, I had no idea what I wanted to do. Um, you know, my older siblings had gone to college, and so that's kind of what my parents wanted me to do. I had no idea what I wanted to study, and everyone said, you know, you'll figure it out when you go to school. Um, and so I didn't really know what I wanted in a college. So I just kind of applied to about, I think, 25 different universities. And then I just got into the highest ranked one. At, awesome. Uh, yeah, that, that's what I did with law school. I pretty much went to the highest ranked law okay. school that yeah. I got accepted to. <laughs> okay, so then you, it sounded like you were doing your thing at Emory. You, uh, said, you said you were learning a little bit of Python. You had a professor that was pretty influential in your life, and you realized you're interested in like this data gathering about human beings mm. and you you thought that iOS was a good place to get that data and then you you know ra rather than you know, staying at Emory you went straight for what you wanted where you, and you found that it sounds like at Dev Mountain how did you find Dev Mountain uh yeah so that's that's a great question actually I guess I, I left a little bit out in my in my story so uh, I did Python and Java and I took a robotics course and I was involved in the uh, computer science and robotics club at the school and I I really enjoyed it but I had some the psychology department at Emory is is world renowned and I had some phenomenal professors that kind of uh, th that was the reason I I studied psychology. Um, and I'd done some reading, you know, just in, in some books about uh, psychology and behavioral economics and so on. And I found that really fascinating. And I loved learning about the research. So uh, in college, I actually did a, um, a uh, what's it called? Um, like a like, thesis? No, um, a business startup, uh, like hackathon, if you will, I guess. Oh, yeah. Uh, like a startup weekend. Kind yeah, of like. exactly. Like a startup weekend uh, with a few friends with this idea that I had to make a social trivia game. Uh, so, you know, I had the idea and very little programming skills, you know, nothing that could actually produce any sort of app. And so I teamed up with four of my friends, uh, two of whom were developers, and we made it. And we actually did very well in the contest. Uh, we placed fourth. Uh, got some very encouraging uh, remarks from some of the venture capitalists there. And then afterwards, we all sat down. We said, you know, are we going to split this up evenly? What, what are we going to do? And there kind of, there were some issues that, that came up. And, you know, the developer said, it's, it's hard for us to do this, you know, purely for our 20% share of, of this startup when, you know, we have internships that are paying us, you know, 20 plus dollars an hour and, you know, job prospects that are, that are looking good straight out of college. Why should we, you know, risk it all just for the same piece of the pie you guys are going to put in? And, and you know, I've, I've started to realize, wow, maybe making apps myself might be the easiest way to get these, these ideas that I have in my head made and, and do these things. So that was actually my main motivation to do uh, the boot camp. And then since I graduated a year early, I actually spent about a year traveling in Latin America and uh, parts of Africa. Uh, so I, I left that out because uh, I, I don't know. Um, but so I spent my time traveling. And then when I got back uh, to America, I 
started doing some web development and I tried to use something like PhoneGap. Uh, PhoneGap is a way to make native, quote unquote, native apps uh, using CSS and HTML. Uh, so the idea was to use something like that in order to kind of make these hacky little apps. Uh, and I quickly found that that was not a good way to make apps. Mm -hmm. <laughs> um, you know, I, there was really no reason. The, the main reason I think that someone would use that is if it, they needed to support Android and Windows and iOS, right? But I personally didn't need that. And so I was like, you know, I need to just learn how to make iOS apps. I looked around at boot camps, and there are actually a surprising amount out there. Um, you know, they're in LA, San Francisco, New York, Chicago. Uh, I think there are a bunch now in the South. Uh, and then I stumbled upon this one in Salt Lake City. And I was really on the fence, actually. There, there's one in San Francisco. Um, I don't remember what it was called, but I was looking at that one and this one in Salt Lake City. And what it came down to is that most of the boot camps were eight weeks. But the mm -hmm. one in the one in Salt Lake City was twelve, and I figured, you know, and and for pretty much the same price. I think the Salt Lake City one was actually a little bit less. So like, you know, if I I might as well take the extra four weeks, and you know, I they got to be teaching me something in that time, right? <laughs> um, so so I, I I said, you know, what, I'll just give it a shot, and I was kind of going in blind at the time, right? It, it's it's hard because I'm coming from an educational background of you know like you get a degree and, and then, you know, that proves that you're good and, and so on. But these boot camps don't give you any form of degree. It's, they just give you the skills. And so, uh, for me, it was, it, I actually loved it. I, I found that in college, a lot of the students were there just to get the piece of paper. So they weren't really interested in learning, uh, as much as just getting, you know, the recognition that they had jumped through the hoops that were necessary to get the piece of paper so they can get the job and so on. Uh, but I found at the boot camps, since you don't have the, the safety net of a degree, all you have to show is you know, what you've done and your skill set. So there's a little more pressure, but you know, since, especially you know, if you think about college, a lot of students, their parents are helping pay for it or you know, they're there on some sort of scholarship but these boot camps are often people in their late 20s, early 30s, uh, and older who have families who quit a job uh, and take on a lot of debt and risk to do this program. So I found that a lot of the students were a lot more invested into their actual education, and that right. was a phenomenal learning environment. So the way that you got into all this is kind of similar to the way that I did. I went to a startup weekend because I had an idea, I wanted to get it built, I couldn't do it myself, at least I thought, and uh, I went to another, uh, I went to a hackathon after that startup weekend because I had so much fun, and I actually won uh, the hackathon, it was called Angel Hack, yeah. and I was developing the, the product with some developers, and uh, I wasn't really getting the, the, the right vibe from them that I wanted, and I thought, why, really, why am, am I relying on these guys I'm telling them about technologies that we should use or could use, and they don't even know about it. I know more than them. <laughs> and I was just consumed with um, watching videos about programming and dubbed up DC videos. And, um, and then, you know, once I got back from this family trip in uh, January 2014, or 2015, I apologize, that's when I decided I'm really actually going to, to stick with it full time. I was doing it kind of part time at that point. Um, so, but it sounds like you chose Dev Mountain because. Uh, well, there was a lot of different reasons, but one of the main was it, it was 12 weeks and it had that more immersive 12 weeks kind of thing that you were looking for. So that was one of the main reasons you kind of went with Dev Mountain. Yeah. And then, and then actually one more thing that I probably should add is that they provide free housing, which is huge, oh. right? You know, you're moving to a new city and I just showed up and they gave me a key and there was a bed and I had roommates that were all in the same program as I was which was phenomenal, right? You go home, you get home at 10 o'clock at night, and you're like, you know, I'm going to code for another hour or two, and then you run into a bug, and you're surrounded by a bunch of other people that can help you, and they ask you questions. So That's I was so cool. immersed like you couldn't believe. I was sleeping next to another iOS developer. <laughs> That's so cool. Yeah, I, I was looking at their website last night, and I was interested in that, the fact that they provide housing. Uh, you're quite a traveler. I mean, you went to from San Diego to Atlanta. Then it sounded like you went to Africa and somewhere else. I, I don't remember. 
Um, and then uh, when you got back and then you went from, were you in Atlanta and then you went to Salt Lake or did you go back to San Diego? And then I went back to San Diego and then I went to Salt Lake. Wow. You're, you're a traveler, man. That's awesome. Yeah. I, I enjoy it. It's, it's, it's good to be exposed to new things. I like that. So I think a lot of the Swift Coder community would like to hear a, a little bit more about your experience at Dev Mountain before you became a, a mentor. So can you kind of give us, what's it like your first day you arrive what's kind of going through your head and and what's the progression of the program like yeah sure so i i'll start out by saying it's very intense um so what happens is there's a application process so it's actually changed quite a bit since i've been there partially from suggestions that i made and uh just from you know it, it evolves the program curriculum evolves a lot faster than any university curriculum uh in part because you know there are four cohorts a year instead of two semesters a year, and then also because it uh, the the field is changing so fast, right? The the field of American history is not changing very quickly, but um, you know iOS development changes all the time. So the program changes, but I'll I'll talk about what it's what it's like now um, and kind of mix in my experience. So yeah, sure. So now you do a pretty basic coding challenge. Um, to start out, you know, in your application. So it'll, it'll ask you to make, you know, a for loop, um, maybe make, I think there might, you might have to make uh, some sort of object um, and then something like FizzBuzz. If you're not familiar with FizzBuzz, I highly recommend looking that up and challenging yourself to do it. Uh, and then once you get that done, try doing it on a whiteboard with perfect syntax and that'll give you a little bit of humility guaranteed there. Um, but so you submit a code challenge like that, and it's uh, very much so pass or fail. So if you don't complete everything in the code challenge, uh, the reviewer will send you back a message saying, you know, your fizz buzz actually is incorrect and just prints out one a thousand times. So, you know, fix that and resubmit it and we'll consider you. So then when, once you get accepted, you're sent some pre-course materials. And the idea is that you could theoretically uh, know nothing about programming uh, or know quite a bit. And on day one, the playing field has kind of already been evened out. So I was fortunate to have an understanding of programming, not necessarily Swift going into the program. Um, but some students knew absolutely nothing. And so now the pre-course work uh, helps with that. So you have a pretty good background in the basics of programming and, and the theory. Uh, one very common criticism of boot camps in general is that they don't teach you much theory. So uh, we do quite a bit in the pre-course work of having you, you know, understand how the basics of computing and a, a bunch of the junk they teach you uh, in computer science and universities. Um, so day one comes around and it's quite overwhelming. You're kind of shown the curriculum, uh, how the class is set up. And I like to split the 12 weeks up into four chunks. So the first chunk, uh, every morning you start out with a stretch problem, which is an hour long, uh, kind of swift, specific uh, problem that most students aren't able to solve. And that's by design. So that could be in the beginning, it'll be something you know as simple as guard versus uh, if lets and kind of challenging people to understand the difference between the two and when you'd use one versus the other. And Shout so, out to Guard. I love Guard. <laughs> okay. Yeah, actually, I feel the same way. It's, it's pretty solid. It's pretty solid. Especially because we all have to use if-lets plenty of times, so Guard is a nice little refreshing bit. Um, so we'll have a challenge like that. So usually the students are given about 45 minutes to do it, and then the last 15 minutes of that hour are spent with a mentor reviewing uh, how to do it, essentially like programming it in front of the class. So that's the first hour. Um, then from 10 to about 12.30, they have a lecturer come in. And so four out of five lectures for a given week. So there's, there's a Monday guy, there's a Tuesday guy, a Wednesday guy, and so on. Uh, and about four of them, uh, three or four of them in any given week are P iOS developers professionally. So uh, one, the guy who, one guy works at Mixed In Key, which is actually a, a Mac app, but he does iOS as well. 
Um, and he's been programming on uh, Apple devices for since the beginning. Really, he's he's one of the you know from day one kind of guys. Um, right. And he's brilliant and, and kind of shares his knowledge. And then another one um, works at day one, which actually I think they just recently came out with an app that's been featured on the App Store for a few days. Uh, he that's works the there. journaling. Yeah, app, the right? journal app. Yeah. Um, and so they're professionals in the, in the in the area that come and teach a new concept. So one day will be about uh, Firebase. Another day will be about core data. Uh, another day on NSURL session uh, and so on. So that's kind of that's the big two and a half hour chunk of lecture. Then a break for lunch, and then in the afternoon, a mentor will kind of guide you through a project that uses um, what was taught in the morning. So let's say you learn core data, then um, in the afternoon a mentor will have all the students pull down a, a repo from GitHub that uh, is a project, maybe say a super basic journal app um, that doesn't use any persistent storage or, and then says, okay, now we're going to implement core data and kind of walks the students through how to do that for an hour. And then it's maybe around two o'clock, and then the rest of the day is spent uh, with pair programming projects. So uh, students are usually randomly paired up just for that day uh, with another student, and you work on a project that, again, reinforces what was taught in the morning. So going with our core data example, uh, you know, maybe a notes app where you store notes and it's all done in core data and so on. And that, that, you know, the mentors usually stay till about five or six, and then the students usually stay till about nine or ten. <laughs> um, and that's the typical day for the first quarter of the cohort. Uh, then uh, the, the morning stay the same, but you start working on a group project. So, um, or sorry, you actually start working on a capstone project. They switch that around. So you work on an individual project for about six weeks, um, which uh, is great for students that have come just to, to work on you know, their idea. So that's the first, the first quarter. Um, I'm assuming uh, by the end of the the whole program, you either do you come out with a certificate or do you have have you have built like a an actual app and put it in the app store? Because that was one thing I I kind of missed out on when I was teaching myself was I didn't realize that I should probably have an app in the app store by you know a certain time um, by these you know first year of studying. Uh, when you're through that program, have you already put an app with your name on it on the app store? Yeah, absolutely. So the, the middle uh, six weeks are that all the afternoons are dedicated to every person working on their own individual app and um, saying, you know, okay, I'm going to get this app done in these six weeks and we help you build out the whole uh, concept and your kind of your map for those six weeks and how you're going to structure your app and, and so on, even some bid on marketing and kind of everything that goes into iOS development. Um, so that that's the middle six weeks. And then the last three weeks are dedicated uh, pretty much 100% to a group project. And the beauty of the group project is at this point, um, you know, you're, you're at your best, right? You've already learned from the first app that you hopefully have made and shipped. Um, most students will ship their apps, but you know, some will will find that maybe their idea wasn't as realistic as they originally thought. Uh, and then so those last three weeks with the group project, it's you're working with um, usually about three other students who are all quite well versed in iOS at this point. Um, and you work together and learn about the dangers of GitHub and, and groups. Um, and, uh, and then th usually put out a, a very nice app. I can see that being very useful because uh, sometimes as an iOS developer, you might be working at, you know, alone as an independent, mm -hmm. or you might work with a small team at a consulting company, or you might work with a larger team, you know, as an employee of a, of a bigger company. And, you know, learning how to work in a group um, using source control amongst the distributed team. I mean, those are really important school uh, skills. And I actually had a Learn Swift LA session 
a couple of weeks ago about just beginning with GitHub and Git um, and using Xcode and the built-in tools. And I'm still um, practicing that. Uh, I don't work with a team. I'm the only iOS developer uh, where I work, but I try to practice it with myself. And that's something I told my Learn Swift LA members. It's not something you need to learn necessarily right now. Don't get overwhelmed, but something to keep in mind. You might want to learn um, just for your own sake to practice source control, um, have good pra uh, source control practices uh, with yourself. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I found that personally and a lot of students at first are very opposed to this idea of source control and you know why do I have to make these commits uh, and so on and it, at first you know I'm saying to them because it's week three or whatever just make these commits trust me you're gonna you're gonna want them later uh, it, it's I know they can cause a little bit of issues in the beginning but they save you you know so much heartache in the future and then they go and work on that group project and I don't hear a single complaint it's more so like Oh, like I wish I knew more about you know this issue with Git, or you know I wish I understood how GitHub and you know my terminal work together. And it's like okay, now I'll explain it to you because you appreciate it more. But 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 yeah, not having someone else to develop with it is it's going to be tough to learn about you know kind of all the issues that come in with source control and, and so on. So Michael, thank you for sharing your story. Uh, you know your background. You went from you know, San Diego, you went all the way to Atlanta, then you went to, uh, you know, um, out of overseas, then you went back to San Diego, and then to, S, uh, to Salt Lake, where you did this Dev Mountain uh, boot camp, and you became a mentor. I mean, that's a really awesome story. And you sounds like you've done a lot. And you mentioned about the love that you have for teaching. And I agree with that. I have that same love. That's why I'm, I'm doing what I'm doing. Um, so yeah, thank you for sharing that. And, and thank you for being a mentor to all of the aspiring iOS developers out there. But now I want to move to the next section of the podcast where we just talk about Swift and your experience with Swift. And well, the first uh, question I want to ask is, how did you start learning Swift? And, and when was that? So you know, when did you, it came out, what, June 2014? So when did you start um, even just looking into it a little bit? And how did you go about doing that? Yeah, um, so I started out kind of with uh, my boss saying to me, we're going to do a group project in Swift, and we're starting in three days. Uh, <laughs> so as a mentor, I said, okay, uh, it, it might be time to, to look into Swift. So the first thing I did was a Linda course uh, on kind of the, the basics of Swift. Uh, and at first it was like, okay, we got these optional things. I don't really quite understand them. Uh, <laughs> uh, I, don't, I don't get why something can't be nil. Uh, and I was very opposed to the idea. And so I did that Linda course and then uh, I started doing some WWDC videos. A lot of the 2014 ones, um, just kind of intro uh, intro to Swift, intermediate Swift. And coming from an Objective-C background, I was kind of surprised how relearning a, a, a similar language really helped reinforce a lot of the concepts that I had. So at first it's like, you know, I've, I've spent all this time learning Objective-C. Why do I want to go back to square one and learn Swift? Uh, and I found that it actually, I think, improved my Objective-C development as well. Uh, because they're, you know, very similar in nature and in practice. Um, so I found it quite beneficial. So then we did the group project in Swift. Uh, there was about a week of instruction and in, in learning Swift and so on. And at the time, a lot of the staff was kind of new to Swift as well. Um, especially the, the lectures that were professionals, iOS developers they in their day-to-day -day jobs were working in Objective-C because, you know, all the code was legacy code and so on. Uh, so Swift is really new for everyone. Um, and on top of that, the language was and is changing um, as we went. So we did a group project in Swift and uh, looking back on the code now, it's not as good as, uh, as I would have hoped. Um, you know, there are times where stuff's being force unwrapped when it really shouldn't be, which is just about always. Don't, um, <laughs> don't uh, force unwrap, ladies and gentlemen. <laughs> um, and, and, and on top of that, uh, a lot of like best practices still were kind of up, up, 
in the air, right? When when to use guard versus when to use iflet. Um, well, yeah, guard guard wasn't even out um, early on, but yeah, I mean, right. it was a changing language. Right, right, right. And so, and these things would come out, and we'd say, you know, are we going to use them? Are we not going to use them? And you know, we're on the on the frontier of of Swift. <laughs> the cutting edge. That's right. That's right. Um, so so it, it was tough at first, and and I will admit that that app we put out probably was not very good. Um, and it probably crashes. Um, but, uh, luckily the, the students kind of kept with it even after the cohort ended and improved the app significantly. So now it's a lot better, but, and then, uh, the next cohort was straight into pure Swift. Um, it, we were quite successful in general with the group apps that were done in Swift and we kind of had hit that point where the, you know, the cohort should be done in Swift. So interestingly, the, the pre-course work um, was still in Objective-C, just as in a way, you know, to give them that foundation, the understanding of, you know, the ins and outs of ARC, uh, which a lot of you Swift listeners might not even know about, um, but, uh, you know, still exists in Swift. It's just not as uh, in your face. Um, yeah, the, it does it for you in a way. Right, right, right. It, I, I hesitantly say it, Swift handles it for you because um, right. it doesn't. But um, I mean, there's an and, automatic reference counting section in the Swift reference book. So right, right, right. Exactly, exactly. Um, so yeah, and then also the Swift reference book was huge and still is huge to my my constant learning of Swift. That's awesome. Thank you for sharing that. So I looked at your. I don't know if it's the developer page or when you go to the um, app, the app store and you click on the developer's name and it shows all the apps that the developer you know has made. Um, and there were three apps I saw. One was called Gauge. The other is called Introscope. And the third is WebDuo. We talked a little bit about WebDuo already. Um, can you tell us about you know, any one of those, uh, you know, which is your favorite, why is it your favorite, and talk about maybe some interesting Swift um, you know, things that you used. Sure. So uh, I'll, I'll answer that in two parts. So the first part, I'll talk about Gage. Uh, Gage was actually the app that uh, I did that startup contest for in college. Um, and in college... The trivia app. Yeah, the, the trivia app. So it's, so you actually ended up getting that on the App Store. Yeah, so... Congratulations, man. Thank That's you. Awesome. Thank you. Um, when we did the startup competition, the developers were actually wrote it as a web app. So it wasn't for, uh, you know, it wasn't a native iOS app. Uh, and so then I kind of, that became kind of my goal, right? I want to make Gage into reality as an app you can download on the App Store. So that's what I did. Um, actually did the majority of, of Gage uh, was my capstone project when I was a student at Dev Mountain. Um, and so that means I wrote it in Objective-C. So I wrote it in Objective-C. I spent a little more time on it uh, after my cohort was done, just in my free time. Um, I learned kind of the ins and outs of parse. Um, and then I actually started rewriting the app in Swift. I said, you know, now my programming techniques have improved. Um, I'm going to write this app in Swift. So I started writing it in Swift. Um, was making pretty good progress. And then I got a terrible email from Parse, um, which broke my heart. And we'll, we'll hopefully talk about more, talk, talk about that a little more later. Yeah, we will. Um, but, and, and so I, I kind of said, you know what? I'm going to put this app on hold. And so I put Gage on hold. It's still in the App Store in the Objective-C app, but the Swift version is on hold. Um, and then I started working on WebDuo. Um, which is a very Swifty app, if you will, um, you know, using WK web views um, was kind of the foundation of, of what the app is. Right. Uh, go so, ahead. Uh, yes, yeah, so I was going to say you have a little bit of experience with Python, you said, and Java, and you work in Objective-C a lot. And so I feel like you're able to tell us a little bit about, you know, just your experience in general with, with Swift as a new language and, you know, why why are you excited? It sounds like you're excited about learning it and why? So I love how safe it is. When I first found out, you know, oh, Swift is a safer language, you know, you can't have nil values, everything has to be, you know, typed and so on. Um, 
I was really bummed and I was like, you know, now I can't just write this hacky code and everything has to be unwrapped and, you know, I can't have arrays of different uh, types in them. I mean, you can, but, you know, I, I, and it was really frustrating and I really didn't like it because um, Python, Java, uh, Objective-C, not a problem. Um, but I very quickly learned to love it because especially... Um, Especially, I think a lot about arrays, uh, and I guess collections in general, but, but we'll use arrays for my examples. If I have arrays of, you know, an array of, of people objects, per se, now I can use map and all these very cool, swifty Apple API um, things to, to write beautiful code, right? So now, since I know my array is of, of people objects, I can map out their emails, right, with one line of code. Uh, and I don't have to loop through anything. It's very readable and it's very safe. Um, and I know that once that's done, it's going to have exactly what I need. And, and if it isn't going to work, it's going to be empty. And it's not going to be some convoluted array of not emails, but it's either going to be an array of emails or have nothing in it. And that is such a good feeling as a developer because once you push the code out, you don't really have any control, right? And if there's a problem, there's a problem, and you have to go back and find it afterwards. So it's good to get the problems out ahead of time. Yeah, that's one of the things I like about Swift as well. You said it, type safety, and I believe that there's some compiler optimizations that are actually being made hmm. so that the code can actually run faster. The compiler knows that it will only accept people objects. It can make certain optimizations because it knows it's not going to receive anything else. Um, I haven't really used many other, I think they're called the higher order functions that you were talking about, these I mean, like functional programming, like map. I've used map. Uh, I think there's flat map, there's filter, and there's, there's, there's a bunch of others. I'm Reduce sure. as well, yeah. Okay, so yeah, but I've only really used map, and that's something I definitely want to, to look into more. Uh, I, I love, like a for loop. I don't know, I just like it. Like, <laughs> I like saying it in my head, like for each item, I always say in my head. Uh, of these items, you know, do this thing. And I, don't know, I just really like that. But when you can reduce, you know, all those lines of code to one line, especially using the trailing closure, closure syntax, uh, where, you know, there's no parentheses, it's just these, the closure, and then you have your map, um, you know, the dollar sign zero and whatever you might want to do after that. That's pretty awesome. Yeah. And, and I mean, even going back to, you mentioned for loops, I think for loops are still even better in parse, right? Or in, uh, in Swift. So you can loop through an array of people again, and, and it knows that they're all people objects, right? So inside of there, you're, you know, you call it for object in people or in your array of people, it knows that every object is going to have all the properties that, you know, a person object has, which I love. I think it, it, it's almost like I feel like I'm not just typing at a computer, but the computer's working with me. So now I want to talk a little bit about being a Swift developer. You're actually at an advantage because you know Objective-C. Um, I don't really know that much Objective-C. I try to learn it as I need to, um, but I've been in the job market. I work as an iOS developer right now for a company, but I don't just do iOS development for them. I do sales, I do QA, I do support, and um, you know that's great. I don't mind doing that stuff, but that's not really what I want to do. I just want to do iOS, at least for now. And so I'm actually in the job market trying to find an iOS developer position, a Swift iOS developer position. And I'm actually finding a lot of positions out there um, and, um, you know, using different um, outlets. Um, and we were speaking, uh, you know, offline. You were telling me that, you know, actually since we first met, I think you were telling me you've been, um, you know, thinking about moving up to L.A. and getting an iOS developer job. Um, as like an employee, that's what I'm looking for. Um, so I wanted to talk a little bit about that, your experience. So uh, wh how have you been going about it? What outlets have you been looking for uh, for you know for the iOS developer jobs? Yeah, absolutely. Um, so one great resource that Dev Mountain provides me with, or all students with, is help finding jobs. So uh, most of the jobs are, you know, in the Utah area, but a lot of the kind of techniques um, 
are universal. So there's a, a man whose sole his sole job for Dev Mountain is to help graduates uh, find you know find placement and jobs. So he's kind of taught me uh, quite a bit about the job search. So one thing I found, especially you know at, at the end of the day of professional experience, I have you know a year right. So prior to that, it was all in college and, and so on. So I don't have a lot of experience that many of the job postings will say. So you know I'll go on to uh, maybe LinkedIn and they have the the recommended jobs, and I look at them and it says you know three to five years of iOS experience, or even better, like 10 years of iOS experience, which is impossible. <laughs> but, uh, um, and, and so it'll say maybe three to five years of, of iOS experience, and I look at it and say, I don't have that, right? So if I was to go and just on their website, uh, submit a, an application with uh, you know, my resume and a cover letter, odds are I'll get filtered out uh, either by some person in HR or some computer program that filters it out right when I submit it. Uh, so that's like going up against a giant. And, and I think that's actually a pretty bad way of going about looking for jobs. So what I've learned is that it's more so about making these genuine connections. So, uh, and not even necessarily in real life, but say you, uh, you see a job at a company, we'll call it, uh, you know, I don't know. Uh, Twitter. Twitter. Okay. So you, you see it. You see a job posting at Twitter for an iOS developer, and maybe you're a little underqualified, but you think I, I think I really fit in at this at this job, and I'd learn a lot, and I'd be able to to benefit Twitter. So instead of just going straight to their you know website and applying, what I'll do is I'll go on LinkedIn and I'll see you know look at people who work at Twitter. So. Um, Let's say I don't have any, you know, connections to people who work at Twitter, and maybe there's, I know someone who knows someone who works at Twitter, but I don't know them very well, so, you know, I'm not that. It's not going to work out. It's it's not worth reaching out to them to to get that connection. So instead, I'll just send them a message on LinkedIn. Maybe try to connect with them and send a message in there, saying, you know, uh, I I saw that you guys have a job posting, and you know, I've been using Twitter since day one and you know I'd, I'd love to talk more about your experience at Twitter and so on um, and just kind of start a conversation right because even if if you don't necessarily have to take the approach of I want to get a job from this guy but maybe he'll teach me something or maybe uh, he'll share uh, another company that he knows about that might be interested in hiring me or Maybe there's a way I can help him. Maybe he, um, you know, wants to know some about someone that I know in LinkedIn, right? Maybe maybe someone can benefit from us just talking, right? It takes right. just a few minutes out of your day, and so I mean, ideally, depending on the size of the company, you find if it's a larger company, you're going to want to find maybe an HR person or um, an, a, an iOS developer, really ideally, and just ask them what it's like working there. But if it's a really small company, maybe even the CTO, right? You could just reach out to them on LinkedIn and, and talk so, to them. Have you used anything else besides LinkedIn? So I have. Um, I've used some other job posting websites, um, and I just haven't had much success with them. Um, I, even, I, I really liked Angel. I think it's called AngelList Jobs or Angel. Right. The app is called Jobs. Yeah, AngelList.co. Um, I, I have used their website a little bit. I struggle, for me, a big part of uh, finding a company to work at is finding a product I really believe in. Uh, so I find that often, if you, maybe it's just me being critical, but a lot of the apps on, uh, or companies on angel angellist.co or whatever it is, um, I find aren't the most interesting to me. But that, right. that might be a personal thing. So it's like, I feel like I'm sifting through a lot of jobs that I'm not interested in. And then you eventually find one you like that's uh, <laughs> equity only. Right. So the one thing I do like, though, about angel uh, list jobs is that they kind of match you, which is kind of cool. They, you know, they match you with someone and then they kind of do an intro. And I actually got, I think, like two phone interviews through that. Um, so that was really cool. Have you have um, have you actually had any phone interviews or in-person interviews for a Swift developer job uh, recently? Yeah, I have. Um, actually, I just had my final uh, interview with a company up in Santa Monica. 
uh, that I'd, I'd really would like to work for. Um, what are companies asking about Swift? I mean, they, do they know that it's only not even two years old? And like, so what are they asking? Yeah, so, so that's a great question. Um, I, I had one interview where um, I was just asked, you know, what, what do you like about Swift? What don't you like about Swift? And I kind of went into detail about both and started almost like a 15-minute discussion with uh, the CTO of, the, of this company about, you know, issues that we run into and kind of little quirky things and and cool swifty lines of code that we've written and uh and just kind of having a little conversation about that because so you have to realize that the bigger the company the less likely they're working in swift and that's a generalization but probably the case right you know if it's a huge if, if you look at an app like facebook right they have thousands probably millions of lines of code in their app um and they can't just convert it all to Swift, right? And they have really no reason. I had a, an iOS developer in Salt Lake was saying to me, why would uh, you know, we spend six months rewriting our app in Swift and push an update saying, hey guys, we rewrote our app in Swift. You won't be able to tell anything has changed. Um, right. So they're no, in, in no, the bigger companies are in no hurry to you know, start writing in Swift. But smaller companies, absolutely, right? If you have a new app, might as well have it be done in Swift. Exactly. So that's where I've been focusing my attention for my job search is like newer companies uh, that are just creating a new product because that's where I'll be more likely to find a position. Um, and I've, I've been finding a lot of positions for Swift. Um, some of them say Objective-C and or Swift, but I'm surprised actually how many positions I'm finding uh, for Swift. Um, but at the same time, a lot of the requirements are two plus years um, and mm. at least one, if not two apps in the app store. So uh, that's that's something I try to stress to everyone I'm teaching at my meetups. Um, if this is something you want to do, if you want to become an employee as an iOS developer, you know, make it your goal to get an app in the app store in your first year. Yeah. Um, but yeah, speaking of meetups, that's some a place where I'd say if you want to do that networking for your job search, mm. go to these meetups because it's, I mean, that's really what's kind of changed my life um, is going to these meetups and meeting different people. and Or maybe organizing place. them. Thank you yeah. for doing that. <laughs> that too. My pleasure. Uh, um, so, yeah, I, I think that's that's a very good point. Um, I, I've been to meetups where I'll, I'll start talking to someone and, you know, maybe they're not looking to hire anyone. They're just kind of interested. But I had one man say to me, oh, I actually came here with a buddy who uh, he's looking to hire, you know, uh, some two people, two new iOS developers. So I was like, oh, great. You want to introduce me? And 10 minutes later, I'm talking to some guy who's looking to hire me. So, Well, I hope the the, uh, the interviews went well and I hope you get that position. It's going to be awesome when you uh, move up to L.A. We'll be able to actually meet up more often. Yeah. Um, every time, every time we talk about you coming up to the meetup, I always feel bad. Like, man, you're gonna drive all the way from San Diego. <laughs> uh, yeah, it's it's not a terrible drive. I um, try to make it my goal of getting the best gas mileage. So last time right was on. 55 miles to the gallon. So. so we're coming towards the end of the interview, and so now we're gonna uh, we're gonna talk about a little session or section of the the interview that I like to call recent tweets. And, you know, we were talking last night about uh, about Twitter and whether or not you were on. And, and I, I went on. You said you were actually not that active, but I went on and you had a tweet very recently on Fe uh, February 9th. And the tweet is, and I quote, single iOS developer looking for my one and only. Just got out of a serious relationship last week. I was dumped by at parse it. Uh, hashtag parse shutdown. <laughs> <laughs> so at first it sounds sort of like a sad love letter like you just got dumped um which you did but it's not between you and another person it's you and and parse so uh, maybe our listeners don't know but you know parse uh mobile backend as a service and makes it really easy so you can focus on doing your your front end code but uh, facebook bought them and they you know maybe a year or so later they shut them down and so you are actually one of the developers that you know I don't know how to what extent, but you were at least in some way slightly affected by it. What what happened there? Yeah, um, I actually I do feel like you know that Parse broke up with me, and the worst part is par <laughs> Parse did it over email, right? Oh, um, 
Um, so yeah, so the app gauge um, that I was talking about was really me diving very deep into the depths of Parse. Um, and Parse, you know, being a backend service was important to my app, right? Even though it seems quite straightforward, a trivia game, uh, the way that the app is designed is you answer questions about yourself. So, you know, do you need coffee in the morning to wake up? And you answer yes or no. And then that actually creates uh, uh, an answer object in Parse that then is shown to your friends as a, as a form of a trivia question. Um, oh, that's interesting. Yeah, so, so the, the, the questions are created by your friends and you answer them about your friends. And so it was, it was very hard to structure. And then on top of that, a lot of, uh, I had to do a lot of network calls with Parse to get you know, the right questions displayed. And I was doing stuff in the background and I actually spent a very significant amount of time with this issue of getting repeating questions when they shouldn't be repeating. Um, and so I really got into the depths of parse. And then I, then I say, okay, you know, a few months later I say, you know what, I'm gonna rewrite this whole app. I'm gonna do it even better. Um, and I'm gonna do it in Swift and I get started on it and I get all the parse stuff implemented and it's displaying the questions as I need them. And it's like, oh, sweet. Now all I have to do is like some UI stuff and add a few other feature I was, features I was thinking about adding. And then bam, I get this email from parse. <laughs> bummer yeah yeah so that's my recent tweet so gauge is on hold you said but have you thought about what you're going to do as a replacement back in i mean i don't know why people overlook CloudKit so much but there's also parse server now um, and and some other similar um, alternatives uh, what about CloudKit? have you looked at that at all so i did i actually kind of spent two days just watching wwdc videos doing some tutorials making some really basic apps with CloudKit and getting to know it and the issue i've found is that CloudKit is so <laughs> this bad this is being recorded CloudKit is so private that it's too private for my enjoyment. So a big reason why I do this app is because I'm interested in the huge amounts of data that I'm collecting about people, right? So I can see, you know, oh, uh, the highest uh, demographic of coffee drinkers in the morning are, you know, women age 40 to, to 55, right? And so that's what, that's really what interests me about the app, right? To see these big trends and so on and say, oh, that's really interesting. You know, people that drink coffee in the morning uh, are also, you know, more likely to be, uh, you know, night owls. Like who would have thought, right? And to see all these trends. But I found that with CloudKit, it's a lot harder to see all that data. So I've been quite, uh, yeah, you're turned on off. On the fence, in a way. yeah, turned off. Yeah, yeah. It's it, and I understand for the user that's great, right? But at the end of the day, if I'm ever going to make money off this gauge, it's going to be from the data, and Apple keeps that away from me. Right. I think you could get that data, but you'd have to ask the user. I, I think you can get that information, uh, like you can get name and, and email address, but you just have to ask the user, and then all the other data. I don't think Apple would give you. You just have to ask the user directly. So, like, oh. what's your age? What's interesting. Your, but they've made a lot of really awesome improvements to CloudKit. For those that don't know, it's Apple's mobile backend. Actually, it's not just mobile, but it's their backend as a service. It's cloud storage. There's uh, APIs for accessing, saving the data. But they just released uh, server to server. Um, so you can have your own server making requests to your CloudKit server to do uh, logic, let's say, in the cloud, because the cloud logic is a little limited with CloudKit. You can do like sorting and pass up predicates. Um, but then they also uh, released CloudKit.js. So you can have, I believe, your website interacting with uh, your CloudKit database. And then they also released the CloudKit web service, which allows you to interact with your CloudKit uh, database using um, the web service just like you normally would with any other web service, you know, HTTP requests, et cetera. So um, definitely take another look if you're still interested because it's getting uh, more powerful by the day. And of course, they're going to keep adding um, more features to it, I think. Right. Yeah, that's actually a very good point. I, at first, I was opposed to using it because um, I wanted it to be, you know, eventually supported on Android. But now that they have this uh, CloudKit.js 
you can kind of set up an API for Android. So that is right. something I should look into. Definitely. So we are rapidly approaching the very end and the sad very end of this podcast. And But before we do, I have two things. The first is, how do people contact you if they want to get a hold of you? Um, email, Twitter, a website, anything like that? Um, I'd say probably best would be uh, email. My email okay. is Michael Sachs, that's S-A-C-K-S, at gmail.com. Awesome, and I'll include that in the show notes below. Great. And the very last question is, what advice do you have for people learning Swift? Go. My advice for people learning Swift, uh, I would say is really appreciate every time Swift frustrates you because they're frustrating you for a good reason and it's to make you a better developer and write better code. Wow, so thank you so much for sharing us your story, uh, talking to us about your experience with Swift and uh, your, your experience um, now transitioning from an indie to you know, trying to get a job as an iOS developer, uh, something that we share. So thank you so much for you know, sharing that story and for coming on, on the, the podcast today. Thank you for having me, Garrick. I appreciate it. My pleasure. And that's the show, ladies and gentlemen. I hope you enjoyed listening to the Swift Coders podcast. Feel free to share the show with a friend, leave a review on iTunes, or recommend us on Overcast. If you have any questions, comments, or just want to say hi, contact me on Twitter. Until next time, go swiftly, my friends. Yeah.